and welcome to the Westside Church's special Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. On this podcast, our preacher, Mark Roberts, will help you get your week started right with a look back at yesterday's sermon so that we can think through it further and better work the applications into our daily lives. Mark will then look forward into this week's Bible reading so that we can know what to expect and watch for. And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee Podcast for August the 9th. I'm Mark, and I hope you're ready to think about yesterday's sermon and how to integrate that into your life effectively, as well as prepare for the week in daily Bible reading. We want to start the week right with a sharp spiritual focus. So pour that cup of coffee, and let's get to it. Yesterday, I preached a lesson designed for our senior citizens, for elderly brothers and sisters in Christ, and I talked about four lies that lots of elderly folks buy into. Those four lies are old age is retirement time, old people and young people can't mix, can't get along, can't understand each other, can't help each other, getting old is something to be afraid of, and then finally, old people are stuck. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I talked about how the Bible dispenses with that kind of foolishness and encourages our senior saints to be fully active in the kingdom of God. That's well summarized at the end of that lesson. Talked about a fellow who, instead of trying to pine for heaven and look forward to death, said he had nothing to do with death. My business is to live as long as I can and as well as I can and serve my Savior as faithfully as I can until he thinks it's time to call me home live as long as I can, as well as I can, and serve as faithfully as I can. That's what we need. So let me share a couple of extra notes that may help you as you push that sermon into your daily life. I just want to give some encouragement to our senior saints that just because you're advanced in years doesn't mean your life is over. Here's some people who did very well later in life. Harlan Sanders was a man who'd been fired from a dozen jobs before he started his restaurant chain at the age of 65. That worked out pretty well. He began the Kentucky Fried Chicken Company. Judy Dench is a very famous actress. She is officially Dame Judy Dench. She has done all kinds of acting in movies and television, received seven Oscar nominations. She won the Best Actress in a Supporting Role in 1999. No other actor or actress has collected more nominations than she has past the age of 60. She is just an outstanding actress, but she is doing that at a time in her life when she is older. Laura Ingalls Wilder began writing her wildly popular Little House on the Prairie series at the age of 65. And how about this? Peter Roger was an accomplished doctor, lecturer, and inventor, but he still had a problem with depression. So he retired from professional life at the age of 61, and to cope with that depression problem, he began to pursue one of the things he really enjoyed doing, making lists. 
He devoted his time to creating a catalog of words organized by their meanings. By age 69, he realized he had something worth publishing. The first printed edition came out when he was 73 years old. It's called Rosé's Thesaurus of English Words and Phrases. He kept working on it until his death at age 90. It is the standard thesaurus we all use, even if we are accessing it online. There's lots of other illustrations of that idea as well, but the best place to go find those, I think, is just to open your Bible and read about Moses, who began the task of delivering the Israelites at age 80, Enoch, who walked with God until he was 365 years old, and then the Lord took him, how about Noah, working all the years of his long life, or Abraham, who lived to be 175, or Caleb, who took his share of the promised land even as an older person. The Bible is full of people who are old, have gray in their hair, and they still do great things in God's service. So I would remind our elderly folks, you too can do great things in God's service, and one of the things I love about this podcast is the chance to be reminded of the things that were in the sermon yesterday that we maybe made a little mental note. That's right, I need to do that. Oh, I should do that. And maybe by Monday we have forgotten. The challenges yesterday, senior saints, were twofold. Every elderly person, find a way to encourage a younger person this week. Send an email, send a text, write a note, make a phone call, do something to encourage younger people instead of writing them off and pushing yourself away from them. And then secondly, every elderly person this week should find something new to do and go do it. Learn to do it. Stretch yourself. Grow. Try something new. Prove that you're not a dog and you can indeed learn a new trick. What about the rest of us? What if you're not elderly? Where's the challenge there? Well, let me tell you a little story and I'll give you a challenge. Last week, as part of our youth lectures, we always take all the preachers over to Spring Creek Barbecue. The elders and the preachers all get a chance to eat dinner before the lectures start Friday night, and we talk and visit and get to know one another. Rusty and Melinda, Dean and I were sitting down on one end of one of the long tables, and there we were with Caleb and Lindsay Churchill. Caleb and Lindsay are a delightful young couple. They have three little boys, six, four, and two. They're doing a great work in New York City, and we enjoyed visiting with them and talking with them about that work and the challenges of working in New York City. But there was a pause in the conversation, and then Lindsay looked at us, and she said, what advice would you give yourself now if you could talk to your younger self when you were just starting to raise kids? That was a great question, and it made us all think. And then there was good conversation about raising children, and there was some wisdom shared with Lindsay and Caleb. I don't really like to think of myself as being a senior citizen, but of course in their eyes, I most certainly am. My children are grown. My work as a parent in that regard is over. Now I have grandkids. That makes me a silver-haired senior in some ways, and if you look carefully around my temples, you can see I really do have that silver hair. So she looked at two couples that have done some child-rearing, and she said, I want to know what you know. That was encouraging to me. So here's the challenge to everyone who's not a senior saint. 
find someone older than you and ask for their counsel and advice. Instead of Googling, instead of going to the internet, instead of reading the latest bestseller or consulting a bunch of your peers who are the same age and have the same level of inexperience that you have, find someone older than you. Ask them what they know about child rearing. Ask them what they know about succeeding in the workplace. Ask someone older than you to help you with counsel and advice. That's a tremendously biblical idea from Titus the second chapter. And sometimes I'll be candid with you. I have something to say that I think would be helpful, but I don't say it because I don't think the young person I need to talk to would be open to that. I don't think they can hear it. I think, in fact, they might just be a little offended that I butted into their business. Young people, make older people butt into your business by asking them to do so. Say, hey, I want to know what you know. That may deepen your relationship with them, and it may be a tool that God will use to bring some godly wisdom and counsel into your life. Go talk to an older person and ask them, tell me, tell me something I need to know. That's the thoughts then from this week's sermon. Hope that is helping you both in the presentation of God's Word yesterday and as we think through it a little bit more Monday morning with a cup of coffee in our hands. It's time to talk about daily Bible reading for this week. We're beginning today, Monday, in John 14, verse 22 through 31. That's only nine verses. It's a little bit in the middle of the thought. You may want to back up to verse 18. Tremendous emphasis here on love. That's going to drive a lot of this conversation here. And of course, then, today's reading includes verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I've emphasized several times, and I'm going to say again, this is a promise to the apostles, not to everyone. It has great implications for all of us, but we want to be careful and not try to appropriate this verse and somehow act as if the Holy Spirit provides some kind of personal guidance. I think Ben Walker's sermon in the youth lectureship about God speaking and how God guides us today is very helpful if you have more questions about some of that. But what's happening here is the Holy Spirit, verse 26, is going to teach the apostles all things, remind the apostles of all things that Jesus has said. And that the implication is, for you and me, that is a guarantee of the New Testament as an inspired and useful document giving us the witness to the sayings, teachings, work, and all that Jesus has done. How do we know that this is accurate? How do we know that it is right? The Holy Spirit is guaranteeing this, and that's the implications here in verse 26. Please don't decide that the term helper here somehow makes the Holy Spirit less or little or small. Sometimes we use the expression, he's my helper, kind of means he's a junior assistant. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's a special word in New Testament Greek that's very difficult for us to translate directly into English. 
Some have used the term counselor. Uh, some have used the term comforter. I don't like that because a comforter is a blanket. Uh, helper works as long as you see the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead, as long as you see the Holy Spirit as assisting the apostles in their important work of taking the gospel into the whole world. And he does that by teaching and reminding them, and we're going to get more in our week's reading about the work that he is doing and how he does some of that work. So then um, I'll just give you a quick note out of verse 31. They let us go from here, Jesus says, and then it's like three more chapters before they go anywhere. And people, have always, they always ask about that, and it just makes me think of sometimes when we say goodbye and we stand in the front door with somebody for 15 minutes saying goodbye. I think they got up to go or maybe they got ready to go, and then there was just more conversation and more questions and more talk, and it just... It just took a little while to get out the door. In John 15, then, we'll read verses 1 to 17 on Tuesday. This is the amazing teaching of the vine and the branches. And the key idea here is abide. You want to underline or circle that in your text. It's used 10 times. And the idea is that Jesus is the source of our spiritual life, our fruitfulness. Everything comes because we are connected to Jesus, and we must remain connected to Him. And a lot of that connection, when you start asking practically about how I do that, how do I abide in Christ, comes from listening to His Word and obeying His Word. That's where this really lands, and you see a lot of that in the commentary that Jesus offers on the metaphor of vines and vineyards that really begins in about verse 9 to 16. But let me just say a word about this business of vineyards and pruning because we're going to hear a lot about that. If you don't abide in me, you're going to be thrown away. Branches gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. You have to abide in me. You can't bear fruit unless you're pruned. What's, what's all of that all about? Well, Probably most of us don't have a vineyard out in our backyard, so I put together some notes on raising grapes, how you do that. And the reality is that if you don't trim a grapevine, it will use its available energy to grow long, woody branches and extend its territory, which I think would make Hobby Lobby very happy because they sell those grapevine wreaths. However, that does not make the people who want grapes very happy because you have this long, woody vine and no Grapes. So uh, people who want to grow grapes, uh, winemakers particularly, learned early on that grapevines could be tamed by carefully pruning the branches off so that only a few buds would be allowed to grow. When you do that, it forces the vine to grow fruit rather than expand its territory. And so Jesus is talking about us being fruitful. And I, I think here this is personal characteristics. This is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. This is being more Christ-like. I've seen this passage used to talk about evangelism, bear fruit in the sense of converts. I think it's a terrible mistake. Uh, if we're duplicating ourselves, then it wouldn't be fruit. It would be make more branches. And we just talked about how we're actually pruning the branches so that we won't make more branches. I, I, I think it misses the point here. And there's never a place in Scripture where we are required to make converts because... We can't make converts. We can approach people, talk with people, help people, point people to the cross, study with people, but ultimately that decision is between them and the Lord. We're not responsible for that. 
So I wouldn't read personal evangelism into John 15. I would read into this text my need to be connected to Jesus so that I can be fruitful before him. A couple of other notes here. I would absolutely use these passages like verse 6 to establish that once saved, always saved is not biblical, and there's just no way around that. Uh, I think as well that we would get some good ideas here about the importance of being what Christ wants us to be so that, I love here verse 15, he calls the apostles his friends. And this comes, verse 17, as we love one another. So obedience and caring for each other, these things are the hallmarks of discipleship. That takes us to Wednesday's reading, which is chapter 15, verses 18 to 27. And after Jesus has talked about how disciples stand together, and they stand together because they love one another, verse 17, now Jesus begins an outward focus and says, the world hates us. We have love inside the community of disciples, but outside we have hate. The world hates us because they don't understand what we understand about Jesus. They don't like what we like about Jesus. They don't want to be involved in the way of truth and light. And as a result, they're going to hate those who bring the gospel to them. Then at the end of this section, in the end of today's reading, in chapter 15 and verse 26, we once again get more about the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, verse 26, whom I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth, He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. So once again, we have this work of revelation and confirmation. How were people to know that the apostles really had a message from God? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will bear witness of me, and I think what's in view there is empowering the apostles to do miracles and signs that would absolutely confirm their message. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, Mark 16, 20, many other passages confirm that that's what signs did. They confirmed the message of the messenger. So now we're to Thursday, and we're in John 16, and now Jesus begins to talk about the results of this kind of hatred and opposition that he discussed in chapter 15, verse 1 of chapter 16. I've said all these things for you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. This opposition and hatred of the disciples is a threat to their faithfulness. The concern here is apostasy. And I would remind you that to someone living in the New Testament world, to be especially a Jew in Galilee or Judea, to be put out of the synagogue is to be excommunicated from community life, to lose your friends and family. It was absolutely one of the worst things that could possibly happen. So this is a very serious threat. And Jesus wants his disciples to know these kinds of things can happen, but they need to be faithful. And he continues then to talk about the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. So the apostles are going to labor in difficult times, but the Holy Spirit will be helping them, and in a very real way, will be helping the New Testament church through the work of the apostles, and even still helping us 
through the work of the apostles that the Holy Spirit assisted in. And that work is, verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The word convict here is translated in some translations, reprove or convince. It's a difficult term to exactly get right, but the idea here is to show someone his sin and summon him to repentance. Please notice the spiritual nature of the Holy Spirit's work. So much of the error that's propagated today about the Holy Spirit has the Holy Spirit doing very trivial kinds of things. The Holy Spirit showed me where to park. The Holy Spirit showed me that I should go here, and, and I went there, and the store had this great sale, so I bought this thing and really got a great... Oh, please. The Holy Spirit is about convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and this idea of convicting here helps us see that Jesus has forced a division in the world, exposing evil, those who oppose him, and now the Holy Spirit continues that work of exposing evil. That's what's going to happen here, and the Holy Spirit is going to do that work through the preaching of the apostles, through the writing of the apostles. The Word is what does much of that work. The Word is what convinces or convicts people of their sin. We would like to think that we can sin and God won't notice or there's no price to pay for sin. Read your Bible. You'll quickly be disabused of that notion. We would like to believe that we know how to be righteous on our own. Once again, it's the scriptures that teach us what is right and what we need to do. And it is the Word of God that tells us about the judgment that is to come, the appointment to judgment, what judgment will look like, and what the standard of judgment will be. The Word of God is the Holy Spirit's chosen tool to do this vital work, and that's why we're reading the Word of God and paying so much attention to it. So then finally, on Friday, we'll read John 16, 12 to 24, and it's clear that some of the disciples are still troubled. Verse 16, a little while and you'll see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says a little while and you'll not see me? They're confused, they're uncertain, it's very difficult. But Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. What a powerful passage that is. Maybe especially to be read and to be contemplated during our time of taking the Lord's Supper. Gentlemen, if you have the opportunity to speak at the table, you could sit down in that one verse and make it a fine table talk as we think about how the world rejoiced when Jesus was killed. They really thought they had accomplished something that they had put out, the light that is Jesus the Christ. But of course, Jesus rose from the grave and our sorrow was turned into joy. Jesus continues to try to equip his apostles for what is about to happen and give them needed information so they will be able to go forth with the Word of God, taking the gospel to every nation. Through that work, you and I still have access to the work of Jesus Christ redeeming us from our sins. Praise God for Jesus coming. Praise God for the Holy Spirit coming Praise God for the word that we might know these things. And that, yes, 
That's why daily Bible reading is so important. Thanks for reading the Bible this week, and I hope these notes will help you. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you love the Monday Morning Coffee podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening on. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would really help us out as well. So until next time, may your coffee be delightful, your Monday be short, and may the Lord be with you today, all day. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday. Go